All right, good morning to all the good birds. Welcome. It is 9.01 on Sunday morning. You are watching the Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ. I am Brother Marty Leeds, your teacher of the mysteries and preacher of the heart. That's how we do it here. Welcome, everybody. Thank you all for being here this morning. It is a lovely morning here in Missouri. We're down in Missouri right now fixing our place. And as you guys know, we do service every Sunday, and that's how we do it. So um, going to be a good one today. We're going to do chapter 17. This is chapter, this is number 77 of the Sunday services. This is Matthew chapter 17. And we're going to talk about the transfiguration of Christ. And honestly, we're going to spend probably most of most of the time on the first like five verses because a bunch goes on in there and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get, you know, go through the rest. But before we get going, I want to say, um, first off, good morning all to the good birds. Thank you, Andrew Mason. That Magical Steven is here. Grizzly Bear is here. Teague Mackin, what's up, my brother? James Dunn, J.M. Grassi, good to see you. Small Axe, Magical Steven, Julie Pradal, Gwen, nice to see you. Ray B., oh, thank you all for being here this morning. We really appreciate you. Okay, um, before we get going, I want to say um, my condolences and to the Jeros family. Um, um, a friend of our mine for basically a very, very long time, Irene Jaros, and I only knew her online. I only knew her interactions, you know, email and things like that. Um, Irene, she was an older lady, um, old mystic, actually. She she was a, you know, esotericist, theosophist. She was a voracious reader, and she just recently passed, and her daughter sent me a message saying, hey, you know, she, she you know, was a big fan of what you guys do, loved the church. You know, knew what you were doing was a big part of this big puzzle that we're, you know, a big piece of the puzzle that's been missing for many years. And so she passed on to the other side. And we just want to say, may God bless you on your journey, Irene. She was a wonderful person. She actually had a whole book collection that she was going to donate to the church. Um, her daughters were. They ended up getting rid of it. We didn't get it because I didn't get back to her in time because we were traveling. So, but it's all good. It's all fine. But she uh, had a whole collection, a huge library of esoteric books, and she had actually sent me a few of uh, what was her name, Hilton Hotep, I think is what her name, Hotema, I think is what her name. A few books. So, anyway, I just want to say, Irene, God bless you on your journey. Thank you so much for being so wonderful over the years. She had been following me since the days of the School of the Holy Science. And I don't know if you, for those of you familiar, I used to be a part of this online school with Bill Donahue and Santos Bonacci way back in the day. And she had been following me when I was, you know, back then when I was still on Facebook. So anyway, we just want to say, Irene, God bless you on your journey. And um, yeah, we love you and much love to your family. So, okay, let's do, let's do a prayer and then let's march into this bad boy, okay? This is praying for peace of mind today. Lord. I thank you for placing your wonderful, powerful, protective peace in my life. I am grateful that you have positioned it to stand at the entrance of my heart and mind, and that it dominates my mind and controls my life. Because what is inside of me is what rules me. I choose to let this peace rise up and conquer me. With this peace standing at the gate of my heart and mind, I know it will disable the devil's ability to attack my emotions and will not permit his lies and accusations to slip into my mind. Thank you for loving me enough to put this powerful peace in my life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And that's what we're going to talk about today. What is inside me rules me. It dominates my mind and controls my life and I want it to rise up and conquer me. That's exactly what we're going to talk about today. We're going to start off with a little quote from St. Clement on St. Clement of Alexandria on the Gnosis and how important 
The Gnosis is, in proceeding to the contemplation of the mysteries of knowledge, we shall adhere to the celebrated and venerable rule of tradition, commencing from the origin of the universe, setting forth those points of physical contempla contemplation which are necessary to be premised, and removing whatever can be an obstacle along the way, so that the ear may be prepared for the reception of the tradition of the Gnosis. Amen. The ground being cleared of weeds and fitted for the planting of the vineyard. For there is a conflict between the conflict, the mysteries before the mysteries. Okay, I want to read one more thing here, because this is really what this church is all about, is revitalizing these mysteries, uh, adhering to that tradition of Gnosis and putting it back into the hearts and minds of people. That's what we're doing here. Um, this comes from theosophist Annie Besant in 1914. Listen to this, okay? And then we'll get going into the chapter. In thus studying the thought of our time, this, this sums up exactly what's happening right now, exactly what's going on in our world. This little paragraph. In thus studying the thought of our time, we see that the question of a hidden teaching in connection with Christianity becomes of vital importance. Is Christianity to survive as the religion of the West? Because it's in peril right now, right? If it is to live through the centuries of the future and continue to play a part in molding the thought of the evolving Western races, is it to live through that? If it is to live, it must regain the knowledge it has lost and again have its mystic and occult teachings. It must again stand forth as an authoritative teacher of spiritual verities, clothed with the only authority worth anything, the authority of knowledge. If these teachings can be regained, their influence will soon be seen in wider and deeper views of truth. And once again, that's what we're doing here. We're trying to elucidate and unearth all of those spiritual verities and mysteries that have been lost within Christianity for years. And we're going to resurrect them. We're going to put the freaking chargers on the chest. And that's what we're doing. So let's do that today in Matthew chapter 17, number one. After six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart. I'm going to read a few and then we'll go back. Two, and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him. Okay, let's go back. First off, the first thing they tell you is after six days, Jesus taketh. So after six days. So let's first look at six days, and we're going to talk about the symbolism of that and the math behind it, and then we're going to find that math all day long today, okay? So six days, just like when we talk about three days in the belly of the, the whale, or three days in the heart of the earth, all that sort of stuff. There's math to that, okay? Specific math. Number one, so here's six days. The six days of math and its relationship to Lord Jesus Christ. So six days is, of course, 518,400 seconds. Well, 5184, the, the core number there, this is the six days math, is 72 times 72. What's, Jesus, what's Lord Jesus Christ? In English gematria, right down there, 72. So you just square his his number, right? You add a few zeros because we're just we're dealing with numerology, which is just a scale, an emanation from you know that, if you will. Um, five one eight four, 72 squared. The minutes of six days is eight thousand six hundred forty minutes. Where do we find eight six four? We find that in Lord Jesus Christ, of course. Lord Jesus Christ equals 72. Jesus equals 27. Christ equals 32. What's 27 times 32? It's 864. How many hours in six days? 144. Of course, I'm not going to get into 144 too much, but we know of the 144,000 in Revelation. How many, how many disciples did Christ have? 12. What's 12 squared? 
it's 144. So the, all of this math can be directly related to the numbers that have been encrypted within Jesus Christ, full stop, okay? Now this math, this they tell you um, after six days, so after six days, this would be the seventh day, if you will, right? That all of this magic is going to happen. This is when Jesus is going to transfigure. All of this, of course, just as we see in Genesis, six days resting on a seventh, all of this is a reference to what? Mythically and symbolically, what is it? It's six around one. It's exactly what we started out with this prayer, with this prayer about. It's trying to find that spark of God that is within you. This is what Gnosticism is really all about. They're giving you the parameters, the, the math, all of it, to point that out. It's six around one. So after six days on the resting day, this magic happens. A little more, some more English gematria for you here. I never pointed, I don't think I've ever pointed this out. Maybe I have a long time ago, but the XYZ coordinates. This is what it is. One, two, three, four, five, six, resting on seventh. What is that? Up, down, left, right, forward, reverse. That's your six directions resting on the seventh. We talk about this all the time. It's the core of the entire Bible. It's the first thing you're given in the Bible, okay? It's the chi rho symbol. Six around one. This is, of course, once again, this is your XYZ coordinates. Okay. XYZ is what in English gematria? It, it's six. It's literally three, two, one. It's exactly, it's literally exactly what we're talking about. Six around one. Okay. Now we're, I'm going to, I'm going to get into the, the the transfiguration, we're going to talk about this, but what's happening in this whole story right now is the light is being lifted up to the top of the head of the Aries, as we'll see, and the illumination, the transfiguration is happening, okay? This would be the theosis and everything like that. What we're going to, what we're going to show is that this is actually, we can relate this to a number, okay? And it'll be interesting to see what number this is. So before we get into that, I, want to, I just want to lay some groundwork. After six days and then the seventh, we've got this mathematical geometric archetype or template. Six around one, of course, we see six around one all the time. We know as this will be, a lot of this will be reviewed, by the way. Um, we know that what is six around one? It's the cube. It's the cube of truth. It's the Kaaba Allah. That's exactly what it represents. The geometry of the cube is six around one. We've talked about this numerous, numerous times. And it'll come up again in this chapter. They're gonna they're gonna relate. We're gonna they're going to reference cryptically the cube, and then at later they're gonna give you that exact same math. And we'll, I'll show you this to the T. The six the six sides of the cube. This the cube naturally actually gives you the, the number six six six. And this is what we'll be pointing to today when Jesus transfigures. Forward, reverse, right, left up, down. Those are the six directions. So the six sides of the cube. A cube, when you cube something, you do it three, multiply it three times, six times six times six, you know, that sort of thing. The degrees of the cube is 2,160. What is 216? It's six times six times six. So six sides of the cube, when you cube something, you do it three times, six times six times six. Six times six times six is 216 times 10, and you get 2,160. In other words, the number 666, right, when you look at it symbolically, is naturally tied to the cube, inherently tied to the cube. What we're going to, I'm just laying all this groundwork so it'll make sense in just a minute. What we're going to see right now is everything, this transfiguration of Christ that's happening right now is all about the, is, is literally referencing the chakra system and the illumination, the sun, the light that's within you rising up this whole thing. This is what this whole chapter, at least the beginning of this chapter, is all about. It's all about this process. Now, of course, most people relate this to the, you know, Eastern ideas and stuff like this, but this is exactly what the Bible is mentioning, Okay. So I just want to lay that and then let's move on. So after six days, resting on the seventh, 
some, some magical thing happens where Jesus transfigures. Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into an high mountain apart. Okay, let's take apart this whole thing right now. Peter, James, and John are taking up to the high mountain. Well, what's the high mountain? We've talked about this numerous, numerous times. What is the high mountain? The high mountain is the mountain that's in the center of the creation. It's known across the world in numerous, numerous traditions. This is why as Gnostics, we embrace all the great traditions of the world because they all point to, when you get past the exoteric and get to the esoteric, they all point to the same thing. And you can see it again and again and again and again. And that is your axis mundi. So what this whole intro is going to be uh, talking about is you raising your, your you know, the, the sun, the light, the, the, the Christ within you up, up your body, your temple, your cosmos, if you will, your mini cosmos, all the way up to the top, the tippy top of your head. That has a relation, okay? That has a relation to the, the cosmos, as we've talked about before. What is that point? Well, that's Polaris. Like I said, I'm going to lay this all out and then we're going to read it and show exactly that this is exactly what the Bible is talking about. It's The whole point is to raise this light all the way up to the tippy top of your head. You correlate to the cosmos. What is at the tippy top of your head? It's your Aries. It's your lamb. It's your ram. What's at the tippy top of our cosmos? Polaris. Polaris. What is the Polaris? Pole is what? And of course, it's a, it's a pole, a north and south pole. And what is, what is the, it's the pole of Aries. Pole of Eris. Eris and, you know, Aries, it's just an A-E. It's like the, basically just a phonetic shift. And you have Aries. So you have the pole of Aries. This is exactly what the, what the Zodiac man talks about, lifting this energy all the way up. And this is, we're going to see this is what the Bible is talking about, lifting up to that tree in the center. This is why Jesus took Peter, James, and John up to a high mountain. It's the mountain within you. Now... <clears throat> Once again, I'm going to lay all this out and then we'll go back. What is, what is Polaris, as we've talked about again and again and again, if you've been following along at this church and you should be? What, 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 is, what, have we rep what does the Bible reference Polaris to be? It, just as it's drawn, the old Hebraic cosmology, look at it. What is it? Polaris represents the point in our cosmology where the soul travels up and out of the firmament and into total unity with God. That's what's happening in our cosmos. This is what's happening in the cosmos of you, traveling up and out, your soul travels up and out to the areas to the top that gets to the top, the polaris that pull up and out of there, total unity with God. This is the transfiguration of Christ. This is what's going on in the story. And you will see it to the T, okay? Polaris, by the way, polaris is the still point in the center of the whole cosmos. Everything is revolving around that, okay? That's your still point. What does is, what is Psalms 46.10 say? Be still and know that I am. We'll get back to that today. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathens. I will be exalted in the earth. Do you know what exalted means? Lift it up. What's the pole star? It's the very top of the whole thing. What is it doing? It's being still. What is that point? It's right here. What does your soul do? Up and out. Out of here and out of there. Polaris, by the way, is an anagram for O-spiral. Just so you know. It's the pole of Aries. It's your, oh, oh, sp oh, spiral. What's it doing? Spiraling everything. Okay. It's about a three-minute video from Joseph Campbell. I'm going to play this, and then we're going to make sense of this whole thing, okay? This will be good. The best example I know in our literature is that beautiful book by John Nyhart called Black Elk Speaks. Black Elk was. Black Elk was. 
a young Sioux or Dakota, as they're also called, uh, boy around nine years old. And uh, <clears throat> this boy became sick, his, uh, psychologically sick. Well, what uh, happened with this young boy, he was about nine years old, was he had a vision, and the vision is described, and it's a vision prophetic of the terrible future that his tribe was to have. But it also spoke of the possible positive aspects of it. It was a vision of what he called the hoop of his nation, uh, realizing that it was one of many hoops, which is something that we haven't all learned well enough yet. And the cooperation of all the hoops of all the nations in grand processions and so forth. But more than that, it was an experience of himself as um, going through the realms of spiritual uh, imagery that were of his culture and assimilating their import. And it comes to one great statement, which for me is a key statement to the understanding of myth and symbols. He says, I saw myself on the central mountain of the world, the highest place. And I had a vision because I was seeing in a sacred manner of the world. And the sacred central mountain was Harney Peak in South Dakota. And then he says, but the central mountain is everywhere. That is a real mythological realization. Why? It distinguishes between the local cult image, Harney Peak, and its connotation, the center of the world. The center of, that, of the world is the hub of the universe, axis mundi, you know, the central point, the pole star around which all revolves. The central point of the world is the point where stillness and movement are together. Movement is time, stillness is eternity, realizing the relationship of the temporal moment to the eternal, not moment, but uh, forever, is uh, the sense of life. Realizing how the, this moment in your life is actually a moment of eternity and the experience of the eternal aspect of what you're doing in the temporal experience is the mythological experience, and he had it. So, so is the central mountain of the world Jerusalem, Rome, Benares, Lhasa, Mexico City, you know? Mexico City, Jerusalem is symbolic of a spiritual principle as the center of the world. Black Elk Speaks, you ever read that book? Ogallala Sioux, young boy, nine years old, goes up. Um, he's got a devil with him. He's had a sickness. Just like the Bible says, it's like, oh, somebody brings to, you know, somebody to Jesus, a daughter, whatever. So, oh, I was vexed with the devil, as we'll see today. Get, had to be healed. So what does he do? He takes him up. This is not Christian or anything like that. Same thing going on. Mythologically, mystically, spiritually, the exact same thing is going on. This Ogallala Sioux had a devil. Takes him up to a central mountain, a high mountain right and then and what does he have he has the mystical experience of the, the 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 merging of time and eternity realizing that central mountain is what is it oh it's in jerusalem is it is it this over here is it in rome is it no the central mountain is where within you that's what this whole thing is all about this is this this is the the great mythological or spiritual experience and black elk speaks is which i've read the book it's a really great book <clears throat> that's what he's having 
the Bible is explaining the exact same spiritual process to the T right now with the transfiguration of Christ. So let's get into it. Who does, who does Christ, who takes, who goes up on the mountain? Who goes up? We're still into the first verse. Peter, James, and John. Okay. Okay. So we already know after six days, there's the seventh. Now we're going up to the mountain. Peter, James, and John. Okay. Why Peter, James, and John? Well, once again, if you've been following along and watched the, um, the videos that we've done on the 12 disciples of the Zodiac, we could correlate the houses of the Zodiac to the disciples, which mean Peter, James, and John, we can find out who the heck they are. Well, when we find out who they are, it goes right along with the story of us raising our what? Our son of man, our light, our Christ within, the chrism, the oil, the balm, straight up this baby to the high mountain of the pole of the Aries up and out of this bitch. Okay? Who's James and John? That's down here. That's your that's your energy that's at your spi the, the base of your spinal column. It's literally there on the Zodiac man. James and John are Scorpio and Sagittarius. That points, those two constellations in our sky, I, didn't, I don't have the graphic, but point to that very place where souls exit and enter, right? And talk about that place in the Milky Way. We've mentioned this numerous, numerous times. That place in the Milky Way where souls enter and exit the earth. Then Peter, uh, excuse me, James and John go up with who? Simon Peter. Who's Simon Peter? That's Aries. He's at the very top. Just the disciples, just those disciples, as they're mentioning, tell you about this whole process of lifting up. This is what he's saying. He's taking them to the high mountain, and they're, they're, he's, they're about to be shown enlightenment in this sort of sense, okay? Now, I want to mention one more, one more thing, and then we'll get into this, okay? This is some math, but I want to show you how this math is absolutely encoded. So I'm going to make the claim that all of this is actually referencing a number, and that number is 666. That's what all of this is mentioning. And we'll actually show that today, okay? This is Peter, James, and John, the three disciples that are going up to the high mountain. There's the consonants, 37. There's the vowels, 37 and 18. Everybody see that? Consonants, vowels. 37 times 18 is 666, okay? Coincidence? Well, we'll find out that that's not a freaking coincidence at all because they're going to mention it again, give you that exact math in this chapter, Okay? So, Peter, James, and John will lead you to 666. That's all I'm going to say, and we'll get back to that. Okay, let's go back. Now it says, line 2, 17-2, And was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as light. It was transfigured before them. Okay, transfigured. Well, we all know what trans are because of, you know, society today. You know what trans means to move from one state to another, right? What is, what is a figure? So this transfigure, what does transfigure mean first and foremost? The straight definition, it means to transform into something more beautiful or elevated. Jesus Christ, who is already Jesus Christ, is going to stand before them and all of a sudden be like, Bleh! he's going to become this, you know, amazing white light. His face is going to shine like the sun. Let's look at the, the word figure, though, for a second, okay? What does figure mean? <clears throat> well, it means a number. Especially one which forms part of official statistics or relates to financial. A numerical symbol, especially any of the 10 in Arabic notation. What is a figure? As a noun, it's one of a specified number of digits making up a larger number. So myth mythically, metaphorically, symbolically speaking, Kabbalistically speaking, what did Jesus do? No, it's not like saying that he actually transformed in the, oh, he's the number three. That's all we're saying. But what we say, he transformed in front of them into what? Into what? A number. 
at least this story can be related to a number. That's why they're using the language. The language is so important. What is that number? Well, as we'll find, it's 666 because it's the number of the sun. This is the transfiguration of Christ. I'm going to show a bunch of these, a bunch of images of this. There he is. He's transforming. He's up on the, he's up on the hill, the mountain there. He's like, whoa. All white. Why is he turning into white? Of course, we know what white is symbolically. It means purity. There's, there's a bunch of them there. So he turns into white, and then his face shone like the sun. It's all white, pure. Boom, boom. I just want to show a bunch of these. Okay, so now before we get into the sun thing, we just saw 666, and we say, okay, well, what's, what's going on? What does this transfiguration actually represent? Wh what does this have to do with me, as we like to ask? Well, this is all about the, tra the transfiguration. is just basically another word for theosis. Theosis or apotheosis, deification you know, this sort of thing. Um, this, once again, uh, where did I get this? I think this is Annie Besant again. It says, the culminating point of the mysteries was when the initiate became a god, whether by union with the divine being outside of himself or by the realization of the divine self within him. This was termed ecstasy and it was a state of what the Indian yogi would call high samadhi, samadhi. Uh, the gross body being entranced and the freed soul affecting its own union with the great one. It is a state of the soul which transforms it in such a way that it perceives what was previously hidden from it. When you undergo this transformation, things are revealed to you. What's revealed to you? The things that are hidden. What's hidden? The occult. Things that are, you know, that things are hidden. What is, this whole process is what is understood as theosis, apotheosis, theosis, divinization, deification, or exaltation. We've talked about this. Theosis refers to the process of becoming a God through the atonement of Jesus Christ. Theosis is the process of coming into union with God. What do you think is happening right now in this story? Jesus is transfiguring before them and they're coming into, you know, reunion with God. Purification, illumination, and deification is the three steps generally for for theosis, transfiguration, the transfiguration of your soul. This is alchemy. Al alchemy, theosis, might as well be the same word, okay? You're, you're reading an alchemical document right now. I've talked about this before. Here's some, here's some illustrations of this. What do you think all of those people, all those disciples and everything like that, you see some, some images, they have, some of them have halos, some of them don't. You see that, right? I think there's Mary over there. She's got a halo. All of those represent what? Somebody that has been illuminated, enlightened. This is not some willy-nilly, you know, uh, mysteries and religion that was just created by a bunch of people trying to make sense of their reality. This is a holy science. This is what they're showing you. Enlightenment, illumination. This is what the whole creation is made for. So this is all, these are all, this is all Christian art and you can see, you know, clearly halo, but this is all art from around the world basically showing you the exact same thing. You know, there's Orpheus in the bottom there, there's Buddha, it's Hindu, there's Egyptian, there's, you know, uh, Chinese, there's all this different stuff, right? And all of it, what? It's a halo. So all these different, once again, when you look past the exoteric and you see the esoteric, what do you see? What are they showing there? They're all enlightened figures. This thing that we're going through right now in, we're, what, two verses in in the chapter 17 is known around the world. It's a natural, inherent, intrinsic process. It's what we're here for. 
and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as light. We know why it's white as light, because it means purity. His soul, his entire soul was pure. That's what you're here to do. You're here to virginize. The sun, as we know, as Gnostics, is the supreme symbol of the mysteries. That is the gateway into the mysteries. You need the sun to help you understand the rest of the patterns in, in the heavens. You have to, you know, you have to understand the sun gives us the, you know, time. It gives us the measure of time. All this other stuff, right? And we've talked about this numerous, numerous times. The sun directly gives you, through its basic pattern, the number six, six, six. And we've talked about this. So as we see, Peter, James, and John, they're going to mention six, 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 right? In their in their gematria, Jesus is going to transfigure. He's going to become a figure in front of them, and they'll be like, ah. Oh. And we know what that figure is. It's 666. And then we'll explain why. So 60 seconds in a minute, 60 minutes an hour, and 24 hours in a day. 60 seconds in a minute, 6 plus 0 is 6. 60 minutes in an hour, 6 plus 0 is 6. And 24 hours in a day, 2 plus 4 is 6. The perfect equilateral triangle is what? 60, 60, 60. Use some basic numerology on that. What do you get? 6, 6, 6. Who created time? Who created the perfect, who created the perfect triangle? God. God did all of that. This is not done by the hands of man. In fact, when we talk about, well, how do we get the 60 seconds in a minute and 60 minutes an hour? We covered that last time. We covered that last Sunday. You. God put it on you. That sexagesimal system, that's on your hands. Nothing made up, nothing concocted out of the imagination of man. Nope. Know thyself. Know thyself. Know thyself. And you shall know the universe and the gods. So this whole thing of time here that gives us 666, we're going to see that Jesus is going to transform into that number right in front of them. His face shone like the sun. This is the magic square of the sun. You guys know what the magic square of the sun is? We've covered this a couple different times. Um, 1 through 36. Add the rows across, that's on the left there, equals 111 each row. You add that up, it's 666, and it's known as the magic square of the sun. You reduce all those numbers, starting at the top row there, you see the first one's 6, you don't reduce that. 32 becomes 5, 3 is 3, 34 becomes 7, 35 becomes 8, etc. You reduce it down, and what do you get? 180. This is the magic square of the sun. Okay, well, what did we just say? So here's 666, magic square of the sun, reduces down to 180. This is time given to you by what? The sun. And what is it? 666 and what? Well, 180. Where do we get 180? It's how you map the sun. It's how you map the sun. The sun rises, if you want to say it arcs over or it's, you know, converges out of a point that's basically your zenith in front of, in, on top of you, you know, horizon to horizon. The Horus rising, and it forms an arc or a triangle. Either way, it's 180 degrees. doesn't matter. So once again, who created that whole thing? God. Okay. So when we say, he and his face was shown like the sun, and then we look at the magic square of the sun, and it gives you the numbers of the sun. We say, well, what number did he transform into? What did he transfigure into right before them? 666. It's in his name. It's in his name in Greek as well. I didn't I didn't include that graphic, but Jesus, the name Jesus, we've once again, this is a lot of this is review. It's all coming into a confluence of this chapter, really. Um what what Jesus is G45666. 
One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. What, you know what that adds to? 45. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine equals 45. Go across, one, two, three is six. Four, five, six equals 15, and one plus five equals six, and seven plus eight plus nine equals 24, and two plus four equals six. Jesus has 666 in his name. His face shone like the sun. And all the numbers you get are 180 and 666. Okay, now, why 666? Number one, 180. Does, does the, what do we know about the, hundred, uh, the triangle and the 180? What do we know about that? Oh, it's everywhere again. As Gnostics, once again, we can see past all of the divisions, all of that exoteric nonsense that everybody's fighting over, and actually see the transcendent truth behind that and be like, I see you, God. I see you. I can see right past all that nonsense. Why Trinity is everywhere? Because it's part of the creation. Because anybody that could do basic math can find it. And that's how God works. But he wants you to be dedicated. He's not just going to give it to you. All you have to do is what? Map the sun. Jesus is showing his face like the sun. Map it. What are you going to get? 180 and 666. Why the triangle? Why that trinity? We'll get into this because this is the, literally the next thing in the, in, the, in the story. The past, the present, and the future. The creator, the preserver, and the destroyer. You could say the destroyer is the transformer too. People don't like the word destroyer, especially because you're relating it to the Holy Ghost. And we've discussed that many, many times. But there's really no issue there. So, Okay, so why 666 though? When we, This is once again, why 666? So you're telling me that Jesus transformed into 666? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Why? Once again, read Revelation. This is where all of these all of these different avenues that we've gone down before, once again, are all coming into, you know, it's like the six directions of space resting on the seven. It's all coming into a confluence. Why 666? Because Revelation says there ain't nothing wrong with 666. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast. What's floating around, what's, what's twirling around that pole star? You know, the pole of Aries that we're supposed to lift that son of man, that light up? What's twirling around there is a beast. And you're supposed to slay that beast, just as Revelation says. For it is the number of man, and his number is 606, three score and six. It is a number of man. It's a number of man. You. And I saw, as it were, a sea mingled with fire. This is the next chapter in Revelation. That's 13. This is 14 or 15, I think. And I saw, as it were, a sea, uh, sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over his number and over the number of his name. Stand on the sea of glass having the harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty, just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Jesus transformed into 666 right in front of them. A triangle transfigured into 666 right before them. Why? Because Jesus... As we just as we read earlier in the chapter of Matthew, well, he had gotten victory over the beast. Remember that whole thing? The beast brought him up to the high place, remember? He was like, Carrie, you want everything? He'd gotten victory over that beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name. And he was standing on the sea of glass, the dome of glass, because there's water up there. And he's having the harps of God. Wait a second. Didn't we just talk about how St. John was a reference to who? Orpheus. And what was he doing up there? Playing a harp? And what number are they referencing in Revelation? There's no question about it. Six, six, six.
666. 666. 666. And who were, when we did the math of Peter, James, and John's, what was that? 666. Let's move on. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, next thing he says, so this is, so this is the first two verses. And his raiment was white as light, as pure. 17.3, and behold, there appeared unto him Moses and Elias talking with him. Um, Moses and Elias uh, were talking with him. Then answered Peter, the head, remember, Peter, he was, he was thinking up here, he wasn't thinking with his heart. Then answered Peter and said unto uh, Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. You, you know, Moses and Elias and Jesus and Peter. Oh, it's awesome that we're all here. We're going to have a party. It's good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias. This is what Peter says. It's amazing. You're going to have a tabernacle. And you're, you know, it's like Oprah. It's like, you're, you get a car. You get a car. Everybody gets a Pontiac. And what happens? God from the clouds comes in and is like, what are you talking about, Peter, you dumbass? While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice, you mean like the word? Out of the cloud, which said, This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased, semicolon, hear ye him. Bright cloud overshadowed them. Voice comes out and he's like, Hey, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Let's break this apart. First off, I know a lot of math today, but we're doing it. This is what God says before the semicolon, directly. This is my beloved son of light, which is, exists within man, in whom I am well pleased. I am well pleased with that son of light that exists within man. This equals, in Gematria, I'm just going to show you this, 137. What are we talking about right now? The whole thing is about what? Lifting that sun, that light of man. They're even giving the constellations up into the pole of Aries, lifting that light straight up. 137 is what they get. This is God speaking. 137 is the 33rd prime number. What does 33 mention? Number one, the number of years Christ lived, the number of bones in your spinal column. And do you know what else 33 mentions? Number of bones in your spinal column, which is where that light is going up. The number of years Christ lived, we triangulate, we make a triangle. We make 180 degrees out of those 33 numbers. And you know what number it gives you? Once again, review 561. So what, Marty? Well, what are the divisors of 561? 8, 6, 4. Six days <clears throat> resting on a seventh. After six days, this transfiguration happened. What's happening? Jesus times Christ, 864. What is 864? That's triangulate the number 33, find its divisors. It's gonna it's gonna lead you to what? What is the story telling us about? What is the story telling about us about right now? Jesus, his face shone like the sun. 864 is related to the sun. Why? Because there's 86,400 seconds in one day. Once again, how do, we, how do we map that? Know yourself. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Where do we find that? Know yourself. Know it. God bless it. 864. 864 in the, in the original name of Greek. You can, I've showed this map before, math before. 
Kyrios, Jesus Christos, reduce it down, you can do the math. Eight, six, four. Jesus Christ in English, eight, six, four. Once again, where do we get this? This is, this is what God says, 137. There's the math of 137, it's the 33rd triangular. Where does that lead you to? Final column, number of days Jesus lived. Where does that lead you to? Or number of years Jesus lived, excuse me. Where does that lead you to? 864. Jennifer and I went to the St. Louis Basilica um, when we were down a couple weeks ago. And beautiful, beautiful uh, church. And there was a whole, you know, this whole sort of shrine to Christ right there, okay? Now, I want you to look at this, okay? Because everything we're talking about right now is right in front of you. I want you to see this, okay? You can't now, but... but Say for the Pope. Try to get the Pope picture out of there a second. But right in front of, um, you see the checkerboard floor there, right? Masons. Checkerboard floor there. How many squares are there? It's a 3 by 11 matrix there. It's a rectangle that's 3 by 11. What's 3, what's three times 11? It's 33. Okay, cool. So there's that, right? So there's literally 33 there. Right behind that 33, you can't see it, but it's the symbol of the chi row. Do you know what the chi row is? Up, down, left, right, forward, reverse. It's six around one. Now, go on top of that. How many candles on the left? Three. How many on the right? Three. Who's in the middle? Jesus. So it's like six days resting on a seventh? Literally everything we're talking about in this chapter, we're only four verses in or whatever, is right there. Geometrically, mathematically. It's irrefutable. I mean, if you can count to seven anyway. <laughs> so, so there's that. Okay, let's keep moving. So, <laughs> now let me go back here. So, uh, hear ye him, number one, that's the word. We'll talk about that. But he, so he, Peter is up there and he's like, oh, we got Moses and we got Elias and, and we got uh, Jesus and we're all here. And then God gets mad. A cloud comes in and is like, what are you talking about? Why did God get mad? Because what is what is God trying to what is the message that God is trying to point to that you know tell Peter here? There is no Elias, there is no Saint John, there is no Peter, and there is no Moses. There is what I am, and this is what the whole message is. There is only the individual spark, the eternal spark that is within God, and this is the Son of Man. <clears throat> Behold, what does he say? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And what did we understand the son of man is? It's the divine light. It's an aspect of the divine presence of the relationship of what? You. It's literally what the words mean. Then the story tells you that's exactly what's going on. The son of man that exists within you. Then it's a semicolon and what? Hear ye him. You heard the word. You hear, you hear it. Who is, what is this? Uh, it's Simon, right? Simon Peter's taking James and John up. Who's Simon? It's your head. Simon literally means he has heard. I'm going to make sure I didn't miss anything here. Sorry. Like I said, the first five verses are like just jam freaking packed. So there's not going to be a tabernacle to Moses and everything like that. What? No, there is only one temple. There is only one church. And that's what we're going to learn today. There is only one place of worship, and that is the entirety of the whole thing. So Moses is not getting a separate tabernacle. Neither is Elias and neither is Jesus. There is only one church. And as we're going to see, this is exactly what the Bible says. 
three become one, it all merges into one. It's talking about unity. 17.6, and then the disciples heard it. They heard it. They fell on their face and they were so afraid because they're like, oh, Jesus, we screwed up. We thought that they were all separate people, but really, it was the individuated spark of God that exists within everybody. And that's what us Gnostics teach. And Jesus came and touched them and said, arise. What do you think, of course, he was going to say? What are we talking about? Arise, Aries, the light, the son of man that's going up the spinal column. And Jesus came and touched them and said, arise and be not afraid. Arise, Aries, arose. How many times have we mentioned this? All throughout Mark, through Matthew here, they constantly repeat this. Why? Because they're talking about something very specific, and that's the spiritual process of raising the light within you. Now, he says this, arise, comma, and be not afraid. Why? Why are you not, you're, why shouldn't you be afraid? Number one, because fear is the mind killer. It comes from Dune, right? I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it has gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. When the fear has gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. And what is the I here, right? This is very mystical. It's the I am. When you get rid of all the fears, all that's left is that eternal divine spark. That is the presence of both time and eternity wrapped up into one, if you will, right? Um, this actually comes from Beyond Survival. It's a pretty good, pretty good little blog. I just want to highlight it. Ten reasons why fear is so powerful in our lives. This is pretty good. So Jesus is like, don't be afraid. And I'll tell you why not to be afraid. Okay? So this, uh, so uh, this guy's a pastor, and I think he was, a, uh, I think he was in the military, or something like that. But fear talks me out of just ten points why you should not fear things, and then I'll talk about why you shouldn't fear. Fear talks me out of taking a risk. If like I was fearful of meeting Jennifer, I almost when the the time that Jennifer was going to come live with me and stuff like that, I almost like called her and said like we can't do this because I was scared. I was scared to actually give up my life to somebody to actually fall in love to do do that sort of stuff. I was fear if I would actually listen to my fears, I would have never fallen in love. That would have been stupid. Fear makes me think my best days are behind me. That's retarded. That's retarded. My, you know, like my worst days are behind me, like my 30s, Jesus. Fear enables me to stay in toxic and unhealthy relationships, just in, 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 remain toxic and unhealthy yourself. Fear helps me focus on doubt and compromises the possibility of hope. Fear devalues my self-worth. Fear creates apathy, depression, and isolation in me. This is why the, 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 the quote unquote, the elite that should not be, the powers, they're always using fear. It's an animalistic, it's very low nature. It's, you know, when Peter and James, or uh, John and James are down here, that's where they want you to stay. Fear slowly sucks the life and happiness out of me. Fear convinces me to keep enabling my circumstances. Fear makes me think that this is as good as it gets. Everything else is downhill from here. Fear keeps me in bondage until something gets even worse. Okay? Um... Well, uh, well uh, you know what? I'm going to mention that and we're going to go back to fear in just a bit, okay? Okay, so I'm going to mention that because we're going to talk about unbelief and what happens when you have fear and you don't have belief, a greater faith in the Almighty. I just want to mention this once again because, because so many things that we've talked about before are coming to a confluence on this chapter. This is, the, this, is what the chap, this is what the verse says, okay? And Jesus came and touched them and said, comma, arise, comma, and be not afraid. That's what it says, okay? Jesus came and touched them. He took his two hands and touched them. Do you know what this equals? 190. 
once again, if you've been following along, that was the, that was the answer to the parable of the sower. Literally, they just tell you. It's not like gematria, like you got to go searching for it. It's like, no, 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100. Multiple times. 190. Then G Jesus came and touched them. Jesus came and touched them, said, arise, and don't be fearful. And it equals 190. What's 190? It's your hands and your feet. It's the vagesimal system. We covered this whole thing multiple times. Then, when Jesus is touching these people and telling them to be not afraid, what number shows up? The number of his hands. His hands and his feet. Number 190 leads to 360, 361. Once again, all review. I'm just mentioning this stuff for if anybody wants to go back and check this out because we covered the shit out of this. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. What does that equal? 190. First 10 digits of pi. What does that equal? First 10 digits of pi with your little 10 fingers that you go and touch, what is it? 190. Why is, by the way, I'm sorry, this, I'm sorry, I totally, I totally missed this. Why is it that God or um God came down? I'm sorry, this is out of this is out of order. I want to mention this though. Why is it that God came down and said, Oh, it was pissed off that you were, it was like, oh, Elias and Moses, you're all getting a tabernacle. Why? Why? This comes from the tenets of the order that we hope to release in the next month or so here. Um, this comes from this. It says, as Gnostics, we celebrate one God, one spirit, one faith, one baptism, and one holy church. We, I abhor and I teach against denominationalism. It's ridiculous. <clears throat> we profess that there is only one united church of God Almighty, and this church is indeed the entirety of the living creation itself. We'll see that coming up in this verse. Everywhere we wish to stop and pray or preach and teach is us, for us, an established place of worship. It's been established by who? God. God created the entirety of the earth and the heavens, and thus everywhere in his creation has been, by divine right, ratified and made fit for his worship. Everywhere we may roam on this vast earth is considered the church of God Almighty, and the canopy, dome, or roof of this church is heaven itself. As we often say in our order, Christ is the church. And just as Christ announces, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. As the Apostle Paul further instructs us, the members of the church body, the living souls dedicated to the church, are also what creates the church, one spirit, one body, one, one hope, one faith, that whole thing. Okay? So that's all why he's saying, only, there's only Jesus, and we're going to see this. That's the next line. 17.8. After all this whole thing, then they lifted their eyes and they saw no man save Jesus only. They didn't see, oh, it wasn't Moses and Elias and every, Nope. Now all three became one and there was only Jesus. Why? Because there is only Christ. Just as we just said, Jesus is the church. There's not a separate one for Moses and one for Elias. Nope. The whole thing. Then what do they tell you? Well, they're telling you about the whole thing because the next line is, and then they came down from the mountain, Polaris, the pole of Aries. Then what? Jesus says what? And then, As they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them saying, tell the vision to no man. Don't tell anybody. Keep it a secret. Do what those Masons do. Keep it a secret. Until the Son of Man, the Son of Man, 
the light within you, be risen again from the dead. Who's the dead? You have to die to be reborn. So you're not so tell, so tell this vision to no man until that son of man within you rises up and you are reborn. This is what this whole chapter is about. It's about arising to your Aries and your Polaris. Okay, before we before we move on, let's do let's do a little uh, break here. Uh, we're gonna pass the basket around. Anybody that wants to support the fine work that we do, we keep going with your donations um, and you know buying books and things like that. That's how we keep going. And so, if anybody would like to support the fine work we do, I don't have a guitar today, so I can just you know I'll do like one of these little things. But if you'd like to support the fine work that we do, uh, Kevin McNally, N2550 Southview Court, Monroe, Wisconsin, 53566. Or if you would like to support um, Venmo, buy me a coffee, cash app, you can also become a good bard, a good bard at Subscribestar. So we thank you, all the people that have supported. We've gotten some really good donations the last few months, so we really appreciate that. Um, we would like to keep doing this. And please only support if you have money to support or if you know if you have a few extra bucks. And you know, But if you're in destitute and in shambles and poor, I, we understand. We've been there before many times, so it's all good. Um, but we really appreciate everybody that does stop by and supports the church. So thank you very, very much. We love you guys very, very much. Okay, let me read this last one and then let's move on. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then? So after all this happens, then the scribes come up, or the disciples come up and say, Well, then why then the scribes, those people that are old, the Torah, the people that were scribbling the Torah, why did they say that Elias must first come? Okay. Now we've already talked about this, the whole reincarnation. Why is Elias John and everything like that? So we've already talked about this, right? Oh, I'm sorry. You know what? I'm sorry. Before we, before we do that, I'm sorry. I'm a little out of order today. Sorry. Um, he says, tell no man. Why tell no man? Why keep it a secret? Why? Once again, we've talked about this numerous times throughout the Bible that Jesus says specifically to keep a secret. He charged them that they should tell no man, nor tell it to anyone in the town. He charged them that they should tell no man. He came down from the mountain. He charged that they should tell no man the things that they had seen. He just transformed, transfigured, did this alchemical transformation right in front of them. It was a miraculous vision. They were like, bah, right? And then he's like, shut up. Don't tell anybody. Why? Well, we call it the PPE. I call it the PPE, right? The mysteries are kept secret. Why? To preserve, protect, and entice. And I've learned over the years that this is this is so important because it keeps, you know how many truthers can't handle this shit? Too fucking bad. Pardon my language. Too bad. If you can't understand why some things need to be kept secret, I, I don't I, I don't I don't know what to say. You know, um it's it's such a it's such a 101 when it comes to the mysteries, right? And most truthers should know it by now too. If you hand somebody all the information and all the wisdom and everything that that they, if they have an apt mind and a good heart and can, you know, discernment and they can think for themselves, they should be able to come to the, you know, some of these conclusions. But they can't. Why? Because they're not ready for it. Okay. If you hand mysteries to people that are not ready for it or that are going to pervert it or destroy it or that sort of thing, then you're doing a disservice to divine truth, period. And this is what the Masons know. And this is why most truthers can't handle the Mason conversation. Too freaking bad. Too freaking bad. The mysteries need to be kept secret to preserve them because there's scumbags in the world. To protect them because there's scumbags in the world. And to entice people that actually are seeking. The, your, the mysteries look for people in the world that actually have a robust spiritual life that are trying to figure shit out. 
And then they, they're like, oh, what's this over here? What's this over here? And you, if you're honest and dedicated to your spiritual life, you're going to be like, what is that? What, what's going on over there? I got to see what's going on over there. This is why Jesus is telling you to do this. All those people that are reading the Bible being like, oh, Nathan, we bad because they keep secrets. I'm sorry. Marty's going to be a little harsh here. I apologize. You're an idiot. What are you doing? Read your Bible. You know how many times it says it in here? When I start, sorry, I'm ranting now. When I started reading the Bible for myself, and I had to hear for years Christians tell me this, and then I'm just picking the Bible up and listening, reading exactly what Christ says. I'm like, what are you talking about? That's absolutely, it's like, it's almost like a literacy or something. I don't even know, okay? Jesus had a secret society. Tough titties if you can't handle it. <laughs> Look, uh, this is, you ain't never met a Christian minister like me. Okay, let's move on. So, so why does Elias have to come first? That's the, that last verse. It was like, well, but the Jews say. And then Jesus answered and said to them, 1711, Elias truly shall come first and restore all things. Elias did come is what he's saying and restored all things. But I say unto you that Elias is come already. Elias was here. And they knew him not. Those Jews couldn't see. Just as we saw, like it was, uh, was it Herod, I think? Herod, he's like, who is this? Is Elias? Is it, you know? And then he even asked Peter. He's like, oh, but it could be the, one of the prophets or Elias or St. John or I don't know who it is. No, no, no. Jesus says, but who do you see it is? These people couldn't see him. Why? Because they can't see Christ within because they haven't done the illumination. They're still down in their, their John and James down there. Reading, you know, watching porn and, you know, eating McDonald's and shit. Okay? And they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed. Likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of them. The, 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 anyway, I think you get that. 1713, then the disciples understood that he spake unto them of John the Baptist. They're, oh, the Jews say Elias must come. Jesus comes and is like, Elias already was here, bro. And then they're like, oh, shit. Oh, that's the same. Oh, we get it. That's the same soul. The same soul that was in Elias is now in St. John. John is, oh, the new, oh, I get it. See what's happening? Then the disciples understood that he spoke of them to John the Baptist. 1714. And when they came to the multitude, there came to him a certain man. This is biblical language of basically saying a certain man is basically like a scum. He's a scumbag. He's a, well, he's Jewish, by the way, as, as we'll find out. Um, so this guy comes back and he's a certain man and he's kneeling down to him and saying, oh, Lord, have mercy on my son. Now, in the story, you assume that, right, you're ta he's talking about his actual son here, right? Maybe in the story, in a literal interpretation, that's what they mean. But what is he actually talking about? Lord, have mercy on my son, on the light that's within me. For he is a lunatic and sore vexed. For oftentimes he falleth into the fire and often into the water. Okay, let's pick this apart. So, um, you know, first off, when those... Um, oh my God, this is out of order too. My Lord. <laughs> Okay, let's go back here. This is what the disciples recognize. St. John and Elias, it's the same soul. It's the I am. It's this individuated spark that comes right from God, that's unified directly from God. What it, where is that I am rep, uh, uh, expressed? Exodus 3.14. Old Testy. And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. Even capitalizes it. When, when we talk about capitalization, what is it? It's emphasis. Because the Bible's saying this is important. Pay attention. 
God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am capital again, hath sent me unto you. What is that I am? It is the God with us. The God that's always present is the individuated spark that comes directly from God that's completely unified with God. And that's what this whole transfiguration is talking about. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth the sun, a sun, a light within you, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. God is always with us. He is always present. He takes care of his creations. That's what we understand, okay? Sorry that my stuff is out of order this morning. It's what happens when you travel. And Jesus said unto them, Elias shall truly come and restore. And, and then they figured out, hey, this is John the Baptist. And then there was a certain man that came. And then he's like, Lord, have mercy on my son. He's a lunatic. Okay, what is a lunatic? Why is it called a lunatic? Once again, th this is requiring you to understand your cosmology. Okay? What does the sun do? It's like clockwork. Rises. 24 hour. 24 hour. Just like, just like the clock on your wall. That's why everything, that's why the mysteries are always based on the sun. The sun is the gateway or doorway into the mysteries. It's like clockwork, 24 hours, 24 hours, 24 hours. His face shone like the sun, it was like clockwork. This guy had a lunatic. Why is Luna, which is a reference to the moon, why are they called a lunatic? Well, because what is the moon doing? Once again, this is naturally what your cosmology gives you. It's it's a very like order, chaos and order kind of thing, if you will, right? If you want to look at it like that, you know, that's just one way of describing it. But basically, what is the moon? Where does it rise? When does it rise? Well, I don't know. Where where on the I don't know. What phase is it in? Is it waxing? Is it waning? Is it gibbous? Is it a crescent? <laughs> how do how do you map the how do you map the moon? It's like twenty nine point five three days or twenty seven point three or something, and then you take the average. I I don't know. How do you map the sun? Twenty four hours. You see what, so the lunatic, we're like, I don't know, there's no order, I don't get it, it's freaking everywhere. What's the sun doing? Pattern, order, okay? So why is, why is he saying, ah, my son is a lunatic? Because he's seeking the sun, he's seeking that logos, that order. And he doesn't get it because he's all lost. He's waxing, waning, he's gibbous, he's crescent, he's all over the place, okay? And then he says, Lord have mercy on my son for he is a lunatic. And sore vexed, for oftentimes he falleth into the fire and oft into the water. What is he talking about here? Once again, earth, air, water, and fire. Um, water is a triangle that points down. Fire is a triangle that points up. These are your classic alchemical symbols. We also know baptism happens by what? Fire and water. So you have to be baptized, you know, the Holy Ghost, that whole thing, fire and water. We've discussed this many times. If you're a Christian, you understand these basic principles. Um, fire and water, right? Well, what are those? It's the Mogan David, Star of David, by the way. This is the combination of those two, fire and water, right? So we seek to be baptized through fire and water through the Spirit as opposed to where do we not want to be uh, thrown into? A lake, water of fire. A lake, water of fire. And that's exactly where he's, he's saying his, his sun, his light, keeps going. He keeps falling, falleth into the fire and into the water. It's like, ah, oh, I'm sore vexed. I'm vexed, which means he's got a devil. And he keeps falling into what? The lake of fire that's at the bottom of our cosmology. He falleth into. What's at the bottom? As we've talked about this many times now, several times, there's a big river, radness that flows down. It flows into a triangle. And then right across from that triangle is another triangle. And right on that whole area is a big old ship called Argo Navis. 
So there's a river flowing into a lake. It's at the bottom. You fall it. There's water. There's fire there. It's the lake of fire. It's the lake of fire and brimstone as it's, you know, this is <clears throat> Revelation. Uh, these both were cast into a lake of fire, burning with brimstone. Lake of fire, lake of fire. And the death and hell were cast into a lake of fire. The second, oh, we're cast into a lake of fire. So this guy is basically saying, I keep, I'm, I keep coming back to earth and I'm seeking out that sun that order, that logos, that pattern, but I'm a lunatic, so I don't know where I'm going. I'm rising over here. I don't know what phase I'm in. And because I'm sore vexed, I keep falling. I keep falling, and where do we fall? We fall into that celestial sphere at the bottom of the lake of fire. I keep falling. I want to go up to the Polaris. I want to rise with the Aries, with the Christ, with the Lamb, right up to the top of that pole of the Aries. But I keep falling down to the bottom of the lake of the fire because he's sore vexed. Christ, order of the sun, save me. And that's that. Okay, I want to make sure I cover all of them. And I br and then uh, seventeen sixteen. And I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. So this is this is really interesting. Brought him to the disciples, and they was like, oh, no, can't do it. Then Jesus answered and said. O oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. Bring the sun to me. Bring this light up to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil. Takes the, who, who's the devil in this sense? Who's wrapping around? I don't have a graphic, but you guys have seen enough. Who's wrapping around that pole star, the pole of Aries? Draco. Takes that. He's like, get, get out of here. And then departed out of him and the child was cured from that very hour because the light the son of man was a was allowed to rise to the pole of Aries okay then the and so by the way and who now this is where Jesus is gets extra harsh harsh and he's like oh faithless and perverse generation you have no faith and you're perverse now who is the faithless and perverse generation that he's talking about like if you've been following along at the Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ which you should be um, and we've read all of these chapters and it's, you know, chapter after chapter and verse after verse. And it almost, it's almost gets like, uh, uh, like it goes over the top. Sometimes I would say the Bible does about calling out Jews, right? It's like, oh, the scribes and Pharisees show up. Oh, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. Oh, woe unto you, lawyers. Oh, well, they look, these scribes and Pharisees, they came over and tried to trick them. Oh, it was the scribes and the Sadducees. They tried to trick them. And then Jesus is like, Jesus, me, um, how long am I going to have to deal with you pieces of shit? Oh, faithless and perverse generation. And then the disciples came to Jesus and they're like, oh, why could we not cast him out? What, what, was the, what was the issue? Okay. And Jesus said unto them, this is great. And Jesus said unto them, comma, because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, remember when we talked about the mustard seed and that something so small couldn't just like that little, the, the acorn, right, can carry the whole oak tree. It's the metaphor. Ah, just a grain of mustard seed can what? Move fucking mountains. And Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, comma, ye shall... Say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible to you. And you know that Jimi Hendrix understood this because he's like, I'm standing next to a mountain, chop it down with the edge of my hand. Standing next to a mountain. Oh, great tune, huh? You like that song? Anyway. So you have faith 
faith the size of a mustard seed, and even that mustard seed, if you have that faith, what it's saying is that there's so much power and so little, and if you can adhere, if you can align with that and understand that that's within you, you can move freaking mountains. Of course, that's metaphoric for, for you, you know, we'll, we'll talk about this, okay? We'll get into this right now. Now, we talked about 666, 666, 666, right? And how we're saying that, oh, Revelation actually says that's a number of enlightenment. It's a number of wisdom. It's, it's the number that all those saints had after they slayed the dragon. Then we're saying, uh, Peter, James, and John, they give you that number. Then we look at Jesus and he gives you that number, right? Okay, now let's look at um, uh, 1720 there. And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if you have faith as green of a mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. This is the gematria for that, for that verse. Uh, because of your unbelief, for uh, verily I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Everybody can see, on the, see the gematria total there? You see that? This is Jesus, in this sense, rebuking his own disciples that he called out and saying, you need to have greater faith. Then, what does it give you? The number six, six, seven. Okay, well, why? that's not 666, right? No, that's not 666. There's a reason they're not giving you 666. Number one, we know that a cardinal rule of gematria, practiced in Hebrew gematria, in English, the whole thing is, it's called the rule of kolel. And it's called the gematria. It's the rule, um, it's in gematria, it's according to which one digit may be added to or subtracted from a gematric value of a word. The Kabbalistic rule of Kalal states that one digit can be added to or subtracted from the gematric value of a word without affecting its value. Okay? So we can add or subtract a number to, to this value. Well, uh, because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, etc., etc., the gematria total is 667. So if we just take one away, what, using a standard rule of gematria, what would that equal? The very number that Peter, James, and John gave you, the very number that Christ gives you in his name, not only that in multiple languages, but not only that, who gives us the number 666? Directly. God. And how did he give it to us? Through the sun. How did we find number 180? Through the sun. Did we have to go to the, the, you know, the professorial elite at Harvard and NASA and all this other shit to figure this out? No. God gave you everything, once again, right in front of you, just as we covered last week. God gave us the number 666. So then we say, oh, we got a rule of Kalel, 667. That equals, oh, well, 666. Okay, that's fine. But, ah, that's a cheat. Now you're just messing with math. You're just adding numbers and subtracting them. No. Why are they giving you 666 and not, or 667 and not 666? Well, do you know what the divisors of 667 equal? The divisors of 667, not 666, 667 is 1, 23, 29, and 667. And do you know what that equals? You know what that adds to? 720. Gematria total, what Jesus just said, there's the sum of its divisors. And do you know what 720 is? 
it is the degrees of the hexagon. What is the hexagon? It's a two-dimensional representation of the cube, number one. But what is that? What is this? 720. It's that. Six around one. You mean the chi row? You mean the first verse literally tells us after six days, this happened. That has specific, when we recognize that they're relating this to geometry, that is a specific geometry. Six around one. What is that? That's the Star of David. That's the Mogan David. That's the symbol of health. That's the chi row. That's the seed of life. That's the Freemasonic square encompasses. This is, this is how, this is what the first verse, now he's rebuking the disciples for not having their belief, not having enough belief in what happens. <clears throat> it gives you the numbers for the hexagon. Let's go over this one more time. There it is. There's your 1720, 667, 667, subtract one, you get what? The number of the sun. Look at its divisors and what does it leave? What does it give you? The number of the S-O-N or the S-U-N? The symbol of the six around one. Now he says this, right? Because of your unbelief, semicolon, I mean colon, excuse me. That means you stop and pay attention to that line. That's what that this is this, this is how this works. Because of your unbelief, boom. This is, and then he goes on. Belief, okay, let's first talk about belief, right? To believe, what does it mean? Believe, uh, to have faith or confidence, right? Hold dear or valuable or satisfactory, to love. Accept something as true, feel sure of the truth of. That's what we talk about when we believe, right? So when it says, ah, you, it's on your belief, you didn't have enough belief. Well, what, what are we supposed to believe in? Christ, right? Then, okay, it's like, yeah, absolutely, there were Christians, that's like what you do, kind of thing. And then it says, well, where is Christ? According to like, <clears throat> all of Paul <laughs> in you mentions it I don't know how many freaking times throughout the Bible to believe in Christ is to believe in yourself he's saying you guys did not believe in yourselves enough you didn't recognize that 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 little spark that divine spark that's too super super tiny can move freaking mountains to believe in Christ is to believe in yourself to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles which is Christ in you the hope of glory, Colossians 1.27. That's what it means to actually believe. He's Jesus is scolding them right now because he's like, you did not believe in yourself enough. You had fear. Remember? He said, be not afraid. <clears throat> when this is this is Matthew. Oh, we already covered this. I think it's Matthew chapter 10 or something. I'm not sure. But this is this whole, he's got this whole like monologue that he does where he basically just talks about how like, look, you have to put, you have to surrender yourself up to that greater thing. And when you do that, then that will, then God will respond. If you seek righteousness and you're authentic and you're genuine and you actually have a desire in your heart to know God, God will respond. And you have to be ready for the response too because um you know sometimes you'll get things in your life you're like i don't want this but that's exactly what you need and you have to realize that that's what you need that god has given you something 
And if you can alchemize that, then this whole, the, your, your spiritual journey, but the whole point is that it will open up. Things will start happening in your life, right? God is going to respond to you opening up to him is the point, right? This is this whole thing. I don't know, Matthew 11 or 10, I forget what it is, but it's basically, he says this, like, behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them, Right? You, you take one thought for your raiment, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, right? Um, so God clothed the grass of the field, right? Should he not clothe you? It's this whole point that you're constantly worried, constantly, but if you put yourself into this surrender thing, that it's basically what, what he's saying is God is going to respond. God is going to see that you're on that path and he's going to take care of you, right? This is this whole surrender to God and allow his hand in your growth. This is what faith is. It's to recognize that there's something bigger going on. And then it's not just a nice idea or some good thought or some good philosophy or anything like that. It's when you adhere to these principles, you'll find out that the shit works. This is the point. Terrence McKenna, Terrence McKenna said it like this. I mean, this would be a very like psychedelic, like literally like naturalist sort of view of this, I think, if you will. But he basically said this, nature rewards the courageous. That's essentially what it is. God's going to see if you're authentic and you're genuine and you're actually seeking a, an honest spiritual life and you're, and you're a truth seeker and you're standing up for what's good, true, and right and you're righteous. Your world, your life, God will respond in it, okay? This is what they said when they said in Hebrews 11.1, 1, they talk about faith, right? They talk about faith. And it's like, oh, the elders, Hebrews 11.2, just after talking, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, that sort of thing. Then it says, for by it, the elders obtained a good report. In other words, the elders being like the old shamans, the old bishops, the old whatever, right? The old spiritually enlightened people. They're, they're saying that it's like, hey man, we follow this, shit works. That's what they're saying. The elders, they did this and you're going to be good. And it's basically saying that God is going to, when you align yourself with God, God is going to, you know, bring blessings and graces into your life. And this is, I read this before, this is a whole other thing. It's also recognizing that when you're on that path, that you are on the hero's journey and all of the heroes that came before you are with you. There's those angels that come along and are, are protecting you, right? Um, a couple weekends ago, we came down to Missouri. <laughs> That's crazy. Came down to Missouri and, you know, we did a bunch of stuff and, you know, I got fiberglass in my face and freaking, I got poison ivy and it was like a total mess and things like that. Had to be a little initiated in Missouri, right? We drove down there and then drove all the way back home uh, to my parents' house and stopped by my parents' house and got into the driveway, basically got the car all out and things like that. And I looked down and my tires popped, like blown out, Right. It didn't happen on the entire how many hundred mile trip all the way from Missouri to Wisconsin. I literally pulled in the driveway and that's when the tire blew. And my mom goes to me, she's like, ah, you, you must have had some <laughs> like guardian angels. And at that moment, I was just like, holy shit. You know, it's those sorts of things. Okay. Um, this is what Joseph Campbell said. We have not even to risk the adventure alone for the heroes of all time have gone before us. The labyrinth that we're dealing with right now is thoroughly known. These, these ancient mystics and ancient seers and, you know, these, these spiritually enlightened people were trying to give us the pathway through that labyrinth, the, the straight and narrow gate. We've only to follow the thread of the hero's path. 
That's what Jesus is laying out right now. And where we had thought to find abomination, we shall find God. And where we had thought to slay another, we shall slay ourselves. Slay that demon within us, that devil, and cast him out. Where we had thought to travel outward, we shall come to the center of our own existence. And what's in the center of our own existence? That central mountain, that axis mundi, the Polaris. And where we had thought to be alone, we shall be with what? Jesus. All the world. Seventeen twenty one. Howbeit this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. What is prayer and what's fasting? I'm going to go over this real quick, but it's basically just think about what prayer and fasting are. What are the actions of prayer and fasting? What are you doing when you're praying? You're when you when you're praying when you're praying. You're sending out right now. Of course. When you talk about out, you also talk about in because there's the out and the in, the as above and the so below. It's like a it's like a Mobius strip. You send out, it's like oh, it comes in. It's like oh, next thing you know, you're right back to where you are, right? But when you're praying, when you're praying, you're sending out. You're sending out to that post star and be like, oh, heavenly Father, heavenly Father, that sort of thing, right? And prayer is all. We'll talk about prayer and meditation. We'll do a whole live stream on that because there's many different ways of praying and meditating and getting into that space, that sort of thing, right? But it's what is a prayer. The definition is a solemn request for help or expression of thanks addressed to God or an object of worship. You're basically looking out and you're being like, thank you, right? You're sending out and you're giving thanks to all the graces and blessings in this world, sending out. What is fasting? You're not, you're taking nothing in, okay? All of this is, this would be purification, the, the entire thing. It's, that's what prayer, prayer and fasting is really all about. Fasting is like abstain from all kinds of food and drink, especially as religious observance. So you're not putting anything into the belly, into the into the gut here, right? That's what is that? That's your Virgo. That's your that's your your belly is considered your Virgo. What's vir it's your it's virgin? It's to virginize. It's to purify. Not taking anything anything in. You're pur purifying this, sending out thanks and and for all the blessings. That's what prayer and fasting is all about. Okay. So you know, how be it this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. You're not getting out of here. Unless you what? You're giving thanks to the graces that God has given you and then going through this idea of purification, purification of the soul, because that's how you raise up, okay? Your heart must be light as a feather, as we know, okay? And while they abode in Galilee, I'm not going to get into that. We talked about that before, where Galilee is, what that means. It's a protective place against the wind, the boisterous winds, right, as we heard just as we talked about, I'll go over this real quick. The boisterous winds of the, oh, everything's revolving around that pole star and everything is just spinning and spinning and we're flying everywhere. And Jesus is like, come to me in the center, the I am, the still in the center, and I will take care of you and keep, keep you from those wicked winds, right? And Jesus said unto them, the son of man shall be betrayed into the hands of men. The son of man, the, the spark that's put within you, shall be betrayed into the hands of man. How, think about this. Is it in a, in a larger context? How many people that are down here, right, that have uh, that were vexed with the devil and they kept going down to the water and into the fire? How many of those people that that son, that that light of man, that Christ that has been that God loves is this is my beloved. I'm well pleased with this. I'm putting this in man's into the body of man. And how many times has that son of man, that light within you, been betrayed by who? By who? You. Your own hands. Your own hands. You weren't delicate with that. You didn't honor it. You didn't, you didn't recognize it as sacred. You didn't realize that this flesh vehicle is like, woo, 
we're going to flitter away. But that thing in there is directly tied to the Almighty. It's eternal. You didn't recognize it. You didn't recognize it. You didn't treat it as sacred. How many times has the Son of Man been put into the hands of man and been betrayed? Then, of course, they have to tell you the prophecy of the story because Jesus' face shone like the sun has to relate to what? The sun in the sky. And while they abode in Galilee, Jesus said unto them, The Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of men, and they shall kill him, 1723. And the third day he shall be raised again. There it is, the language. Raise, arise, rose, Aries. And on the third day, now once again, why do we, why do we know the third day? We've talked about this many times because just as we said, the, 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 what Jesus is going through must reflect the greater order. Okay? It's cosmological. And they were exceedingly sorry. And they were exceeding sorry, right? Then the next line, 1724. And then they were coming to where? Where, where would you expect them to come into? I don't know, Capernaum? The Cap? You know, it's like a capstone. I mean, the capstone, which is the capstone on the top of a pyramid. That's your cap. That's your head. That's your, right? That they received tribute money came to Peter and said, doth not you. I'll go into that in just a second. So where did they, they were in Capernaum. As we know, what cap, what's Capernaum? We've talked about this. Cap is put a cap on your head. Now means a place. It's a protective barrier or um, it means to be sorry. Excuse me. Um, capper is a, is a protective perimeter or barrier, which is your skull. This is your Capernaum. And who is, who is there? Once again, who's there? And when they were come to Capernaum, they that, they that received tribute money came to Peter. Who's Peter? It's your, it's your head. It's your Polaris. Your Polaris. And then they come to Capernaum. They received tribute money, came to Peter. Has, and then said, hey, Peter, doth not your master pay tribute? Doesn't your, doesn't, does Jesus pay money when he goes into the temple? Peter says, yeah, he does. Yeah, yes. 1725, he saith, yes. And when he was coming to the house, Jesus prevented him. Jesus stopped him. He's like, Peter, don't give him any shackles. He said, yes, when he was coming to the house, Jesus prevented him saying, what thinkest thou? What thinkest thou, Simon? What thinkest thou, Simon? Literally, they're saying Capernaum head, Peter head. The whole thing is rising up to the top, the Polaris head. Then, then he's saying, what thou thinkest? What thou thinkest with the head, Peter, Simon Peter? And he says this. When he's coming to the house, he's prevented him saying, What thou thinkest? Wait a second. Don't, don't give them any cash. Then he asks him a question. Of whom do the kings of the earth? Who are the kings of the earth? Well, if you're a king of the earth, who's the, uh, when we talked about who runs the, you know, when they talk about who runs the world, the world age, you know, when they talk, because he's just, he, he just mentioned, like, oh, you perverse and faithless generation. So how long am I going to have to suffer you dickbags? Basically what he's saying, right? And so we know that they're in some sort of like dark dark age or anything like that, right? So when you talk about like the age of the earth, that sort of thing, we say, oh, who's who's in charge of the age? And that's, a, you would say the devil, because the devil has infiltrated the hearts and minds of people, their actions, their perverse, that sort of thing. So Jesus is asking Peter, he's saying, of whom do the kings of the earth take customer tribute of their own children 
or of strangers. And one of the things that's claimed is that basically they're saying, hey, there's a, there's a temple. When you go into the temple, you have to pay a little money to upkeep the temple, which is, you know, that makes sense and things like that, right? Uh, probably assuming why Peter said, yes, of course Jesus was going to pay to keep the temple. But then Jesus almost scolded him and says, no, 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 don't, don't, don't pay. It prevented him. What are you thinking, Simon? Then he asks him, who do these kings that are running all this shit, do they, would they take uh, tribute or who pays them? Their children or strangers? And of course, this is what Peter says. Peter saith unto him, of strangers. So people that are not going to the temple every single day, they don't have to pay. The strangers, they have to pay, right? So then Jesus and then the children are free. It's actually a question, but it's not a question because there's no question mark. It's like, then are the children free? Then are the children, you know, basically saying, oh, well, you're not a stranger. You're a child of God. Then why are you paying for the temple? Why are you going? Because the, the, the strangers, the kings of the earth, they just make their strangers pay, the strangers, the foreigners, the people that are just visiting the temple, but their own children, they don't have to pay. But you're going to go in and pay. No, no. Then you walk in free because you're a child of God. Okay, this is the temple tax. Um, Jesus's reluctance, read this, okay? Listen to this. Jesus's reluctance to pay the temple tax is consistent with his teachings regarding the physical temple. The gospels record five times when he either says, destroy this temple and in three days I will rebuild it or is quoted as saying, Jesus may have said this to emphasize a spiritual temple over a physical temple. A spiritual temple over a physical temple. That can a the, so there's a temple on the left, beautiful church. I would love to own that church. It'd be freaking fantastic. We could have a freaking party in there. There's some prayers. So on the left there, that's a church. That's a temple. And on the right there is the actual temple. On the left there, can that church pray? Can that church have faith? <laughs> can that? Can that? You know? No, no. All of that's done on the one on the right. That's where the actual temple is. Hence why as Gnostics, when we say, just as it said, they all oh, they saw Elias and Moses and it was Jesus. And then oh, the, the cloud came and it pissed. And, and all of a sudden, next thing you know, they all merged into one because it's very Trinitarian. And then they only saw Jesus. That's all they saw. Why? Because the whole thing is what? The church of Christ, which means what? what is that right there? That's the temple in which Christ lives. This is what he's mentioning. He's like, you're paying money to, to, to upkeep this thing. This is the thing that you have to upkeep. And you don't have to pay money to the kings of the earth. Your jurisdiction, as we know, is where? In God. You're a child of God. Only people that are strangers that, don't, that aren't on the spiritual path in this sense should be paying it. So, um, so, okay, boom. Now this is the last 1727. This is what he says. Now... Regardless of all that, he goes and grabs a coin and pays anyway. No. Now, I just want to mention this because I'm going to give you my perspective on this. And I'm sure it's not a perspective that's shared by most Christians. But I've gone over, you know, I was when I was studying this, I went over a bunch of like, you know, interpretations of what people think this means. And it's sort of all over the place. And most people don't have any idea. But I'm going to give you my interpretation. I think once I give it to you, you'll probably agree. So 1727. So he's saying, don't pay the tax, right? What are you doing? But, you know, regardless, we'll, we'll pay the tax. And then Jesus is like, I'll pay the tax. And this is how he's going to find the money to go pay the tax to the Jewish temple. 1727, notwithstanding, lest we should offend them. So we don't want to offend them or whatever, right? So go out to the sea 
and cast a hook and then take up a fish that first cometh up, the first fish that cometh up. And when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shall find a piece of money. A piece of money is our is archaic language for a coin, a piece of money, okay? That take, take that money, and then give unto them for me and thee. So give that coin to me, and then we'll, we'll give it to pay the temple tax. Okay. Now, this is called the Jesus coin miracle, right? So basically, look at that. Good thing it's a hotel, and we're not going to clean that up. So, <laughs> so, so this is the Jesus coin miracle, right? So Jesus... Tells Peter, go, go get this fish, grab the coin and the fish. Okay, Jesus performed this miracle in order to not offend those who collected the, the temple tax, right? The two drachma temple tax. Now, mention this is what it mentions. This is the only miracle that Jesus performed in, to, in order to avoid offending people. Now, as we're going to find out, he actually is offending people. So, think about this. Out of all these miracles that Jesus performed, this allegedly, according to most literalists, is the only one that didn't offend the Jews. Oh, it's gonna. <laughs> Jesus typically performed miracles as well as made statements that were offensive to his audience, as we know, particularly the Jewish priesthood. Okay, but allegedly this one miracle that isn't offensive to the Jews. Oh, contraire. Oh, contraire. Okay, so this is the coin in the mouth. So this is basically the Jesus. And look at this. They got they got halos. See that? What is that referencing? The natural inherent process of what? Your illumination. Eventually, we're all going to have to get there. So, there's a coin in the mouth. Jesus is like, go grab the fish, open his mouth, reach in there, grab a coin, pay the temple tax. Okay. Everybody get that. This is, uh, once again, another picture of St. Peter. <clears throat> Grabbing, so he's got a fish, grabs the coin. Okay. Now, who is the, so let's go back to this. And it says, so now let's, let's, let's not offend them, though he's going to. Go out to the sea and cast a hook and grab the fish that come up and then open his mouth. Okay. And then you're going to pay the Jews to this. Now, if now Peter, there's Peter who's what? Aries. So if you're going to grab the first fish you could see, well, you could say Pisces because there's two fish there, right? You could say, but Simon Barjona, Peter Simon Barjona is his name. Bar means son of, and Jonah is, of course, the whale. So Bar Simon Barjona, Aries, the, the temple, or the, the, the lamb, the ram, the Aries, he's the son of Cetus, the whale, which is right above Aries. And that's why he's called the son of Bar Jonah, Jonah the whale. We, we know that in the Old Testament, right before it gets to the New Testament, you know, a few chapters, you know, shy or whatever, we hear of what? Jonah in the whale. The whale opens his mouth and who comes out? Jonah, obviously. So clearly this is a cryptic reference to this story. Go out to the sea, cast a hook, take the, the fish that first cometh up. Well, it's the one that's right there. It's a big ass one. And then open his mouth and what you're going to find. And then grab the coin in there. This is important. Okay, so what, did Je what does Jesus say? What is Jesus? They're trying to kick us out of the hotel right now. Like, too bad, we got a church service. <laughs> we read, even in, a, even in the chapters before, last chapter and then a few before that, what did Jesus say? And, and he says it really sort of apropos of nothing in the other chapters. Why? Because it's referencing something later on. What does he say? 
You're, you're evil and adulterous, wicked generation. You're not going to see Christ. You're not going to see that sun of light rising to the table. You ain't going to see that shit, son. You ain't going to see it. The only thing you're going to see is a sign from the prophet Jonas. And this is what he says. And he scolds them. An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. There shall be no sign given to it but the sign of the prophet of Jonas. A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall be no sign given unto it but the sign of the prophet of Jonas. He says it multiple times. You're not going to see Christ. You're going to see the big-ass fish. Then we go back to the story. Okay, so what is, and we know Jonah is, uh, once again, there's Cetus, there's the whale. Okay, now let's go back to the story. Let's see what Jesus is actually saying. Notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go out to the sea, cast a hook, take up the fish of the first coming on, open his mouth, thou shalt find a coin, a piece of money. Take that coin and give it unto me and thee, and then we'll pay the temple tax. What is, what is he saying here? Okay, so in other words, the, the, the Jonas, the prophet, that's all the Jews are going to see because they're wicked and evil. He, they're not going to see Christ. So then he's telling Peter, go to the son, son of Barjona, go to that whale and open up the whale's mouth. And what are you going to find? A shekel. A shekel. Grab that shekel that was left in there by who? Who was in the whale's mouth? Jonah. Who's Simon Peter's? Of who is he a son of? Jonah. So they go in, they need to pay the temple tax, go to the fish's mouth, grab the shekel, and pay them. What is this? What is the what is the Bible doing right now? I don't know. Once again, let me just say this. I'm gonna repeat this because it's so important. This is the only miracle that Jesus performed in order to avoid offending people. Jesus typically performed miracles as well as made statements that were offensive to his audience, comma, particularly the Jewish priesthood. Go to that big-ass whale, open its mouth where their prophet was, and that's all they're going to see. And what are you going to grab? A coin. Use that coin and pay the temple. What is the Bible doing here? I don't know. I would say that the Bible is engaging in one of those old uh, anti-Semitic tropes about how the Jews love money. That their God, if you will, is money. So think about this. Is this a non-offensive miracle? Actually, I would say it's hella offensive. Because they're saying, oh, actually just go take their money from that old Jew, go to the fish's mouth, Take that money and go pay the temple tax. You know why? Because you're a you're not a stranger. You're a child of God, and you don't know a bunch of Jews, jack fucking all. And once you learn that, you'll get your wings and you'll fly up to heaven because you'll be a good part. Okay, and that's what it's really all about. Thank you all for joining me today. I hope you all enjoyed that one. Um, if you'd like to become a good bird, you can become a good bird at Subscribe Star. You can become a Phoenix Bird, an Aquila Bird. You can become a Cygnus bird, or you can become Tom and the Pete Mob bird. And we're going to get some chickens in our new place in Missouri, and we're going to get a new Tom and the Pete. We're going to be Tom and the Pete 2. Tommy the, we're going to call Tom the Peter. If you'd like to um, 
give any donations, uh, Venmo, buy me a coffee, Cash App, subscribe, star. We really appreciate everybody. Once again, snail mail. N2550, Southview Court, Monroe, Wisconsin, 53566. Thank you to Content Safe for getting us on BitChute and Odyssey and Rumble and all that sort of stuff. We do stream. We have been streaming to YouTube and Rockfin. As you guys know, our internet situation has sucked donkey balls. That's right. A Christian minister just said our internet sucks donkey balls because it does. And so we've had a lot of issues trying to stream because of the air quality and stuff like that. But I'm hoping this next week we'll get on live, probably not on Tuesday, but some other day because I got a lot of other stuff I want to cover. And um, Jennifer is going to be working on her next emotional intelligence class. So thank you all that joined and watched that. Um, a lot of people have gotten really good. We've gotten some good re uh, reviews from that. Um, so thank you for that. We really appreciate that. Flat Earth, Sun, Moon, and Zodiac app. Get the app. We're on there. It's the Sunday Sermons. You know it. You love it. We're also doing the gathering. Uh, August 8th, about a month now, uh, 18th to 21st, going to be really great. Tons of really great people going to be there. Marty Leeds is going to be there. I mean, holy shit. Just amazing. Anyway, uh, Bear Lando, Dr. Bear Lando, Dr. Kelly Brogan, Dr. Alex Zach, Dr. Melissa Sellen, and Marty Leeds. So uh, so be there. It's going to be cool. Flattoberfest, uh, October 21st, 22nd. I don't think we're going to be there this year. It really is looking like it's going to be really tough to get there, unfortunately, because of everything that's going on. But it is what it is. Church store, um, all that. I just want to say some thank yous. We didn't get to it last time because um, we did a pre-recording, but I want to say thank you to all the wonderful people. Uh, Lawrence Latempio, thank you so much. Nicole Gavin, Joshua Crawford, Jeremy Hines, thank you so much, Jeremy Hines. Thank you very much. We really appreciate that. Daniel Hager, Alicia Crawford, oh, you guys, every week you guys have been given. Uh, John Vina, really appreciate that. Virginia Murray, Jared Poole, thank you so much. God bless you very, very much, man. Um, Casey Horat? I'm not sure if I'm saying that correctly. I'm so I apologize. Janine Grassi, Jennifer McLaughlin, Jamie Greeley, Alan Woodward. I am. I am. Welcome. Um, Corby Olson. Tish Hat Montana. Fish Hat Montana. Two dollars. Thank you so much. Uh, the Bangere, Bruce Parson, Dan Frey, Rosalind Ann Harding. Thank you, Marty and Jennifer. I look forward to the service every week. It makes my day regardless, Roz. Uh, regards. Regardless. Regards. Uh, uh, for, uh, Roz from Australia. Thank you so much. Uh, Mr. Organic Raspberry Farm just dropped 10 bucks this morning. God bless you. Thank you so much. Derek Holloway. Ali Aloisi Morales, I think I'm saying that. Andrew Mason, every week. You're here. You're killing it. I appreciate it. We appreciate it. Great great to see you. Um, $10. Hope to meet you at Flattoberfest in Las Vegas. We're really going to try to be there. I don't think I'm going to speak because I don't I, you know, I don't want to promise anything, but we're going to try to get there. So, Gen X rated $10. Thank you so much. Robert Bruce. There is no Robert, Robert Bruce. That's not. No. You're Thunder Chicken. You're Lee. Okay. 1133. Love you, brother. Jared Poole. God bless you. Polly Mathing. God bless you. Dave Messenger, 49. Love from Freeport, Illinois. Love Yahweh. Awesome. Carrie Musgrave, thank you so much. Eugene, what is that? Yeguis? I'm sorry if I'm saying that incorrectly, Eugene. Thank you so much. Brielle, grass, uh, blessings and grace. Ray B, please say we are playing, praying for his son. We are praying for... I'm sorry, I'm reading this as I'm... <laughs> Ray B., we are praying for you and your son and your family. Um, I'm not going to expound on that, but going through some difficult things. The, the, the demons of this world are trying to get a hold of his son, you know, as they are for all of our children. So we must protect them. So we are sending out uh, prayers to you. And um, so, okay, that's awesome. Thank you so much, guys. Uh, we really appreciate it. We will see you next Sunday, and we'll try to go live sometime this week, maybe Friday night, as long as we get clear weather, because there's a bunch of stuff I want to go over. So um, that's going to be good. So 
Really appreciate everybody, and I guess we'll see you uh, next week, okay? Um, it's sometime this week. May you always keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, that illuminating sun of light rising up through you. May his grace be with you all. Amen. Okay, thank you so much for joining me. I'm really glad um, that we can keep this going, and uh, we just really appreciate all of you, okay? Um, just so you know, lots of stuff still working on Tenets of the Order. I'm about 100 pages in. We've just been so busy. Going to finish that up. Um, we're hopefully going to get a, ch a children's book out this year. We're um, still waiting on art and things like that. we got to get all that going. That's a long process. And then by Christmas, I would like to do another book called, probably a short one, maybe like 100 pages, called The Twelve Disciples of the Zodiac. So that's um, that's all planning towards the end of the year it's going to look like and uh, so that's it okay guys thank you so much i love you so much thank you for being here today have a wonderful sunday and we will see you on the flip side as always many blessings and much love to all